name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. John chapter 11, verses 55 to 57. Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so that they could arrest him. So here we read about Jesus's possible next moves. Was he or was he not heading to the Passover feast? That's what they were asking. Is he going to go? I don't know what's going to happen. But you see, the purpose of the Passover was to remember when God killed the firstborn sons of Egypt before leading them out of the land. As a, as a Jew, before you went to partake at the Passover, you were to cleanse yourself of sin at the temple. Okay, this is the context of what we're reading. They're supposed to cleanse themselves at the temple. Now, when the people went to cleanse themselves before this particular Passover, they were looking for Jesus, probably thinking he too needed to cleanse himself, right? Because he's just a human being. He's not God in their minds. So when, you, when I first read this passage, I didn't catch this. I was just read through it. You ever read this little passage of scripture and you're like, oh yeah, it's just a connector to the next one, right? But... This is more than just a connecting, ver- uh, connecting verses. The chief priests and the Pharisees noticed Jesus' absence as well and gave orders that if anyone saw Jesus, he's to tell them so they could arrest him. And they were probably thinking, how dare Jesus come to the Passover without cleansing of sin? Without cleansing of sin. They were looking at Jesus as just a man, not the son of man spoken of by Daniel. So if Jesus was just a man, I could see how the priests and Pharisees would be upset and try to arrest him, right? So this passage shows that they're, they're probably right in their own minds from a human perspective to be upset about Jesus, but not really from the true perspective of who Jesus really was. But I want you to take one thing away from this. Whenever you see the Pharisees or Sadducees upset, there's probably a reason behind that. They don't just get upset at random. And this is one of those times. They were upset because of Jesus not being at the temple cleansing himself. So whenever something like that happens, read back over that section a little bit and be like, what's really going on here? They're not just... Because they were the keepers of the law. They knew the law. So they're like, okay, well, there's something, something else going on here. All right. But I want, I want to give you a little history about the Sabbaths, the Sabbaths, the Shabbats, Shabbats. Um, there are actually three types of Shabbats or Sabbaths before the Passover, okay? The first one is called, you can see up here, let's go to the first one, Shabbat Parshat Para. I think I botched that, but it's okay. Okay, so this takes place two weeks before the month, month of, of, of Nisan, taken from Numbers 19, 1 through 22. This portion of the Torah explains the ancient purification process 
involving the sacrifice of para adama. Now, you guys know who that is, right? You know what that is, right? No? Okay. You guys ever heard of the red heifer? All right. It, it was a, um, a completely red bull, never been used for work. And it was used for the purification process when someone became impure through the contact with a dead body. Okay? As a result, the person would be unable to bring the Passover sacrifice until he became ritually pure again. So this is the third one out from the Passover, third Shabbat out. The second Shabbat out is called Shabbat Hachadash. Hachadash. I think I got that right. Taken from Exodus 12, 1 through 20. It tells of the commandments of the Passover sacrifice and the preparation for the exodus from Egypt. Like a trumpet announcing the arrival of the king, each succeeding Shabbat raises the Jewish people anticipation for the arrival of the Passover, the anniversary of their national birth, Passover. Finally, we have the Shabbat before Passover. And this is, I'm giving you context because this is where we're going to be reading at. This is where Jesus is at. He's at this Shabbat before Passover. It's called Shabbat Haggadah, the great Sabbath. The Shabbat refers to the great day of the final redemption, the final redemption. Even before the history of the exodus of Egypt is retold, they also look f- to the future and the final exodus from their current exile which was to be heralded by the prophet Elijah. So before the Jews left Egypt, they were commanded to take a lamb and sacrifice it four days later after this Shabbat. Okay? This Shabbat took place four days before the actual Passover happened. And they did this to remember their faith in Yahweh, that he was the one that was going to save them and not themselves. So remember, this is all taking place six days before the Passover, the story we're about to read in, in John 12. And Jesus had not cleansed himself. He was still unclean in their, in their eyes. So this is added to the people's hate for Jesus. Here's where we pick up, okay? The amazing thing is, is that the stories leading to Jesus' death and resurrection all coincide with the Passover and its importance, and now I'm not going to cover all the details right here, but you can go looking up. Google is a great resource. If you guys like to Google, uh, there's a great, other great resources like Blue Letter Bible, but they'll walk you through what Jesus was deliberately doing by fulfilling prophecy on his way to become the Passover lamb that was coming. All right, so let's turn to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read this together. I'm going to break it down a little bit. So the anointing at Bethany. Here we go. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them. Of course, Martha loves to serve. That's what she's doing again. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with them. Then Mary took a pound of Perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Interesting. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what uh, was put into it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So, we are six days before the Passover. Jesus is having dinner at Simon the leper's house. And we're going to read that later on. It doesn't say in this passage. And Lazarus was there. We just learned about Lazarus last week. All right? Um, We know that uh, from Matthew and Mark, which we're going to read next, that Simon was the one who owned the house. So before we actually talk about this more, let's actually look at it from a different perspective than from just John's point of view. So let's turn to Matthew 26, 6 through 13. And we're going to look at it from Matthew's point of view. I like having multiple points of view. So Matthew 26, 6 through 13. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, there we go, Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head, not his feet, his head, dear, a little different, as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why, the, why this waste? They asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. All right, now finally, let's go over to Mark's gospel and read his account. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. Stick with me, guys. We're, we're, we're going to analyze this and, and, and talk through it a little bit. Mark 14, three, verses 3 through 9. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head, but some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. All right, so let's break this down. Start with the characters, the different people in the story, all right? I think I have a list of, uh, on the slides for this one. Okay, so who was in the scene? We have Lazarus. Lazarus, who was just raised back to life in the previous chapter, he's now alive. He was dead, now he's alive. Then we have Martha, who's working like she always does, doing a little thing. Then we have Mary Magdalene, who was formerly demon-possessed at the feet of Jesus, where she likes to learn. 
And then we have Judas, the one who portrays Jesus. Then we have Simon, formerly a leper, considered dead according to Jewish culture and now alive. Because if you are a leper, you, you walk around and say you're unclean. People can't touch you, okay? And then there seems to be some other disciples. Um, they're not named exactly who they are, but this is sort of the breakdown. And so I want you to, to, to check something out real quick. So we have Lazarus, Simon, and Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was deemed possessed at one time. I'm not saying that the Bible says, you know, you're unclean because of that, but spirits and, you know, uh, lepers and being dead, all those things are of being unclean, okay? And, and here's Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, hanging around all, with all these people that were unclean at one point, all right? So this, he didn't show up at the temple, and on top of that, he's still hanging out with people that were unclean, all right? And so in that culture, this is infuriating. This is one of the things like, what are you thinking? And you're eating with them. So on top of all this, we have Judas, who is not really happy with what Mary is doing for Jesus. Judas is saying, how dare you take that much nard and put it on Jesus' feet? You could have sold that for 300 denarii, okay? And given it to the poor. This is the scenario that we have going on here. So let's, I'm going to talk about the scenario from um, what Judas is doing, what Mary is doing, and what Jesus is doing at the end. But let's talk about the culture at the time when it comes to washing of feet. So in Jewish culture, it was common practice to go barefoot inside people's homes because they didn't want to track all the dirt into the house. So they would wash their feet when they came into the house. And when you had guests, it was the duty of the host to wash the feet of the guest. So now here we have a picture of Mary coming in to anoint Jesus' feet with nard, which is very concentrated perfume. And at times, the host would put oil and water to make the feet smell better. But at this, this was an act of Mary who was not washing feet, but doing something different. Mary was doing something deeper than just washing feet. Mary was preparing Jesus for the burial to come in just a few days. So this leads us to ask some questions about what was going on. First of all, that 300 denarii thing. How much was this nard that she put on his feet? That's a big question because it could be a lot of money. So I looked at a few different sources. The 300 denarii is actually equal to twenty to $30,000. Twenty to $30,000. It's a full year's wage for them at the time. And I, I really wonder how she came about something like this, of this value. I mean, I don't, do you guys have a box full of spices in your house or perfume that's $30,000? I, I don't think so, and it's not something I'm looking to buy. But she had this, okay? Also, the next thing is, why did she wipe his feet with her hair? That's weird. You know, to take my hair and just going to wipe it, wipe down his feet. No, that's, that's usually not normal. But there could be a few reasons for that, too. So she could have tried not to waste the nard because it was so valuable. She knew that oil was really good at keeping, oh, sorry, hair was really good at keeping in oil. So she used her hair, not trying to waste anything. She could also have been wanting to be close to Jesus Christ. 
And I know that there are so many people during that time that wanted to be close to Jesus, get, get up next to him and touch him because he had power in him. You touch him and you, you, you're healed. And so she was probably coming. But she might not have needed something physical, but maybe even emotional at that time. Just emotional, just healing from Jesus Christ. But she could also have come to do this by humbling herself and saying, I am your servant. I want to serve you because you have come to serve us. I th so these are some of the things that could be happening. So after she wiped the feet with her hair, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the nard. Now, my wife sells essential oils, and just one drop of the essential oils can fill a whole room with its aroma. This nard, possibly spike nard, which, by the way, smells absolutely disgusting, <laughs> uh, it ended up filling the entire house with the smell. With this, I think John was pointing out the sacrifice of Christ as an amazing aroma that goes out to all the world, just like the aroma of the nard that filled the house. And really, I think it's an aroma to them, it reminded them of death. But we know that death of Jesus Christ brought life. Brought life. So we have this aroma. And now we have Judas coming up. Here comes Judas, the one who betrays Jesus. Judas starts off by belittling Mary for wasting such fine nard on Jesus. Hold on a second. He said wasting. If Judas really knew who Jesus was, he would not call that a waste. Jesus, being God, created all things. And she's using this on his feet. This is something that is not a waste, but Judas didn't see that. Judas saw that she was taking something of great value and wasting it where his feet were probably already washed. Why are you doing this? And in Jewish culture, it was actually against the law to be wasteful. And that's what she was doing. She was being wasteful in his mi mindset, in his, his eyes. So I could see him being indignant towards this. And even in the other stories, it says the disciples. And I'm pretty sure John just toned in and said, eh, it was Judas, you know, because he's the keeper of the money. But after this happened, Jesus turns to Judas and or the disciples and speaks, and, and he reveals to them that she is doing this to prepare him for burial. And this was probably a shock to them, but they should have seen it coming. Because just a little while before this, Jesus told his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer and die, and it looks like this is the beginning of that. Now when Jesus told them the first time, they did not understand what this meant. This was another hint right now, he was telling him, concerning what was about to take place. He defended Mary in the midst of this, in the midst of her sacrifice to prepare Jesus Christ for burial. He defended her. Pro Mary, in the midst of this, probably didn't know what was going on, and she probably didn't know the importance of what she was doing. But she was just being obedient and honoring Jesus Christ. But even though it seemed that this could be the case, I had to ask myself some questions when going through this. So, did Mary not know, or did Mary somehow figure out the mystery of what was happening? 
Did, did, was Mary listening in when Jesus Christ was talking to the disciples and said, oh, he's going to die and rise again. I, I have to prepare him for this. I got to prepare him for burial. It could be. Maybe she was just prompted by the Holy Spirit to do this. And, and also just even in that, like if the Holy Spirit didn't live inside of people at the time and, and lived outside of people, was she influenced outwardly by the Spirit to do this? And even in all this, did she really know the full extent of what she was doing? Or was she just being obedient? Honestly, I do not know the answers to these questions. I, and I don't think this, this specific passage says either way. What I do know is that no matter if she knew it or if she didn't know it, she was being obedient in love to Jesus. Jesus knew this and even went as far as to reprimand his disciples when they said something against what she was doing. But Jesus used this moment to reveal the purpose of why he came in the first place. Jesus was about to make his way to the cross to become the greatest sacrifice for the sin of the whole entire world. I think in the same way that Jesus defended Mary's obedience, Jesus also does that for our obedience. I think he does. It takes courage to obey the Spirit in our day and in our life. The moment we start obeying God is the moment that we are hit with all types of fears and doubts and what might happen if we do this. Many of them are present in this story too. So I'm pretty sure that Mary had thoughts about how she could give this pricey gift to Jesus Christ and still afford to live. When, when the Spirit says, give this, how? I don't have the money to do that, God. How am I going to be able to do this? She probably uh, was fearful that people around her wouldn't understand what she was doing. I mean, she just came into the house and just started doing this. So she, she might have even thought that people would stop loving her because of her actions. But she laid all that down in her true devotion and obedience to Christ. And I, I wanted to point you to three ways that we can have the same true devotion and obedience that Mary did. The first way is to fear God versus fearing man. 1 Samuel 12, 24 only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Mary feared God more than man. She walked forward in what she knew the Holy Spirit was asking her to do and was commended by Jesus for her obedience. Unlike Judas, who feared what people might say if they heard that someone who was following Jesus wasted so much money just to wash Jesus' feet. You see, the fear of man is a snare. It holds us back from truly living our lives in obedience to God. Every day we are tested to see if we will fear God or fear man. And we have to choose. Are we going to fear God or fear man? The second thing is this. She honored God versus honoring man. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth 
and from the first of all your produce. Mary gave, us, Mary gave up a full year's wages to honor the Lord. And it was this act of selflessness that moved the heart of Jesus to defend her. Unlike Judas, who later on in the story would sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Mary gave more money than she, than she really had. I couldn't imagine not having that much money taken away from me at one point, but she gave all that, and she gave more. She gave herself completely to honoring Christ. And I don't think this verse, Proverbs 3.9, specifically is talking about wealth when it comes to money. I think it speaks about our wealth when it comes to time, energy, and money. Everything that we have, God deserves our first fruits of those things. And Mary said, I'm going to give him that. She gave honor, and she gave what she had, was, was the nard. The very breath that we are given each and every time we breathe in and out is given to us by God, right? I mean, can you guys survive without breathing? I don't Try. Hold your breath. See how long it takes. We are given gifts every single day, but we don't realize that. And the question is, do we honor God with those gifts or do we honor man with those gifts? And then last, she loved God first versus man first. She loved God first versus man first. Not saying that we don't love our brothers and sisters or, or our neighbor, but she loved God first. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Mary loved Jesus more than herself. She showed this by doing something that seemed to everyone else a disgraceful act, but was an act of love towards her Savior. Judas, on the other hand, would give up Jesus' life and love himself above Jesus. In the end, Judas ended up losing his life. And that's the struggle that we face as well. Are we going to give up our lives and truly follow Jesus and the love that he has for us? Or are we going to seek after the love of others? This world is coming to an end one day. And these pleasures that we have here are gone in a moment. Are we going to continue in them? Or will we enter the fullness of Jesus' love for us and be satisfied with him and nothing else? Just like Jesus defended Mary before people, Jesus stands before God in defense of those who trust and believe in him. Jesus Christ is called an advocate for those who believe and trust that he defines what is true. And if you aren't familiar with that phrase, an advocate pleads with God, the true judge, that those who trust in Jesus is the only way to eternal life are now considered right before the judge. They are no longer guilty of the things that they have done wrong. Jesus forgives them of every wrongdoing they have ever done. And then he says, I took their punishment when I died on the cross. The sin that they committed called for their blood, but Jesus gave his blood in their place. So the question is, are we going to give ourselves to Jesus 
and devotion and obedience? Or are we going to give ourselves to people who will in the end offer nothing but death? Jesus offers us life. Jesus offers us eternal life. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us a restored relationship with the Father. So let us not forget that sacrifice. And let us truly be obedient to Christ. We have so many great things to gain when we are obedient to Christ. But it's not about just gaining. It's about us loving because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to be the one that forgives us of our sins, the one who took the punishment because we deserved much, much worse. We deserve to be punished for our sins, for everything that we've ever done wrong. But Jesus Christ took that upon himself. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take that punishment for them. Lord, I pray that you would move our hearts. Lord, if we are doubting you at all, that, that you do not defend those who are obedient to you, that you do not go before them, that you do not work through their obedience, Lord, I pray that you would convict us to step forward and to follow your spirit that leads us. Mary did not have the spirit living inside her, but we as believers have that spirit, God, and we thank you so much for that spirit. Lord, we ask that you would help us to listen to that small voice and to be obedient, just like the Israelites over and over again went into battles and did what they wanted to do without consulting you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be obedient and then walk forward throughout the fear by constantly giving it to you and doing what you've asked us to do. Lord, we know that from here and from your word that you just... You will defend us. You will help us to be obedient to you. You will take away those fears and anxieties as we cast upon you. But help us to do that. Help us to stand strong in the Lord. And not in our own strength, but in the Lord. I ask that if anyone here today, Lord, if they do not know you, if they are loving this world, if they're loving what men can do for them, if they're loving anything other than you, Lord, that they would just lay that down and they would trust you as Lord and Savior. We thank you for your spirit that gives peace and understanding. We ask that today as we go from here, Lord, that you would empower us and equip us to do your will and your work. Open our mouths to speak truth and love on people and to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.